KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, September 16th. With the recall election over, what's next for vaccine mandates in schools? More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. California Secretary of State Shirley Weber says the recall election will have cost taxpayers more than $300 million, the vast majority of those costs borne by the counties. Mesa College political science professor Carl Luna says reforms are being proposed in the legislature, but he doesn't think they'll be successful. Everybody's upset about it. And the next thing you know, we're thinking about uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then it's going to be the primaries. And by the time we get back to thinking about it, it'll be the next event, the next recall. Californians will get another chance to judge Gavin Newsom in the general election in November of next year. Two more U.S. citizens are on their way home, having escaped Afghanistan with the help of the office of Congressman Daryl Issa. His office reported that a couple in their 80s have officially left Kabul. Issa's office has helped rescue 33 members of his district from Afghanistan since the Taliban overran the Afghan National Army and retook control of the country this summer. The Cleveland National Forest was supposed to reopen this Friday, but the National Forest Service has extended the closure for at least another week. Federal officials say they're concerned that very dry conditions pose a heightened risk of wildfires. They say they're also mindful that many local firefighters and firefighting aircraft are in other parts of the state already battling wildfires. California has more than 10,000 firefighters battling 14 major blazes in other parts of the state. From KP. You're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. With the recall election now behind us, KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has more on the future of COVID-19 vaccine mandates in schools. Students were back at school Wednesday without much mention of the recall election that failed with California voters. Parents were talking about it. They are also wondering whether San Diego Unified School District officials will move ahead with the mandate for vaccinations. Robert Anguiano has a granddaughter in fifth grade, and he supports vaccinations for all students who qualify. That way all the children are being vaccinated. They're going to be taken care of. They're going to be more healthier. They're not going to, we're not going to be worried as grandparents or parents that they're going to be going to the hospital or they're going to be getting sick or anything. A new vaccination mandate is expected to be discussed at the next school board meeting September 28th. And that was KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez. The Imperial Beach Pier has been closed since Monday night. KPBS's Melissa May has more on why. The city of Imperial Beach notified the Port of San Diego on Monday evening that a piling from the Imperial Beach Pier had fallen off. In an abundance of caution, the pier was immediately closed to the public. It's tough anytime you get uh, 
an iconic piece of infrastructure that you have to shut down. But uh, you know, we're always going to side on the side of caution. In this case, uh, we don't want anybody to get hurt, and we want to make sure that we address this as soon and as safely as possible. Ernie Medina is the Port of San Diego's chief engineer and says there is currently a large swell around the pier, but hopes to be able to safely make an assessment as soon as Thursday. Anytime we have a rough environment with some infrastructure that we put in, it's going to be the environment versus the infrastructure, and uh, sometimes the environment wins. The eastern part of the IB Pier, where the damage occurred, is made up of timber and was built in the 1960s. And the western portion, made up of steel, was built in 1989. Several people were admiring the closed pier from a distance, including Alan Agater, who's been a part of the IB community for over 60 years. If you look around and see the development that Imperial Beach has done over the last 15, 10 years, it's all around the pier, right? So a lot of economy, a lot of new houses. So, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big deal. It's the main focus. Whenever anybody comes to Imperial Beach, this is the iconic place that they want to go. Uh, it's where people gather, uh, you make memories, whether it's fishing or surfing. It's the classic, iconic Imperial Beach. Dane Bolding is a local surfer and has called IB his home for over 30 years. He happened to be on site the night the piling fell off the pier. It's a bummer that it, it's broke, but it's not the first time. Uh, I hope it brings awareness in the community that we need to invest in uh, the iconic pieces of Imperial Beach and focus our money on uh, areas that serve the public. Residents say it would be a huge loss to the IB community if the pier permanently closed. You know, it would be like losing a family member. You know, that, that pier has been here ever since I was a little boy. And that reporting from KPBS's Melissa May. Governor Gavin Newsom celebrated his victory in the recall election on Tuesday night by telling voters that they didn't just say no to the recall. We said yes to science. We said yes to vaccines. We said yes to ending this pandemic. We said yes to people's right to vote without fear of fake fraud or voter suppression. We said yes to women's fundamental constitutional right to decide for herself what she does with her body. Newsom racked up a major win in the recall, with more than 60 percent of voters supporting the governor. But the question remains, what will Newsom do with the show of support and what happens to his recall challengers, specifically former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner? Thad Kauser is a political science professor at UC San Diego. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh about some important takeaways from this election. Now, I remember speaking with you a couple of months ago when the polling was not looking good for Newsom. And you said, despite that, Newsom would probably survive the recall. What gave you that confidence? Well, this is California. Let's remember, right? This is a strongly Democratic state that Joe Biden won by by five million votes. And that just gave Gavin Newsom such a, a margin of error. What we saw over the course of this election, though, was, you know, he, he made some big moves right around that time, midsummer, late July, early August, when several polls had him neck and neck. 
he gambled big on making this a referendum on COVID and, and on his vaccine requirements for teachers, for healthcare workers, on the mask mandates that his Republican opponents opposed. And as you just heard in his victory speech, that was really what he led with, right? It was science and vaccines. That's what he staked his governorship on. And that's part of what led him not only to survive this recall, but to, to win a renewed mandate for California's approach to COVID and, and, uh, and to re-energize his, uh, not only his governorship, but his potentially future political career. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen spoke to some voters yesterday. We have a little bit of a soundbite from one of them. Let's play that now. I believe that our current governor is doing all that he can given the circumstances. That was San Diego voter Michaela Sabido on why she voted no on the recall. My question to you, Thad, what do we know about why people voted no on the recall? Did people vote more for Newsom or against the recall? Well, since they were checking off the same box for both, it's it's impossible to 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 tell. But here's what we know from from exit polls, right? COVID was the top of the mind issue uh, for, for the largest number of voters. It was the biggest issue in the campaign. And it was the biggest issue, especially for Democrats. 40% of Democrats, but only 20% of Republicans said that this was their top issue. So I think that that seems to, to, to fit with, with the story that, that Democrats embraced him, even though they may not love every single thing about the way he's governed for three years, even though they may still recognize the, the strong challenges that California faces and things like housing, home homelessness, um, poverty, you know, uh, racial justice, like at least on the top issue of the day, COVID, he seems to have won a mandate for his approach versus the approach backed by all of his Republican opponents. And there was another factor that a lot of people are pointing to that got Newsom uh, over this recall, and that was the entrance of Larry Elder in the race. What kind of effect do you think he had? So Larry Elder, both galvanized the Republican base, really led to much more fundraising for the recall. A lot of people who are, who are volunteers, we saw signs that, in ways that, that we hadn't seen um, coming up in, in front of Republican homes over the last few elections. But he also put, I think, a ceiling on on both his candidacy and, and the effect of the recall, because he is very much a Trump Republican. He has what people love about Donald Trump, but also what people are worried about. He shoots from the hip and he said a lot of things that deeply, deeply alienated not only the Democrats who came running back to Gavin Newsom, but voters in the center. And, and I think that made it both cl- put him clearly ahead in the recall replacement race, but also effectively doomed the recall replacement question. And what kind of role do you think Larry Elder might have in California politics moving forward? Look, Larry Elder is now the dominant figure in in Republican politics in California. He he trounced John Cox, right, who had been the Republican standard bearer in the 2018 election and 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 now, you know, was was un, unfortunately for him and also ran in this campaign. He solidly beat Kevin Faulkner, who many have seen as the great hope for the future of of, of a bridge building Republican, a Republican who could get to 50%. All of them paled compared to Larry Elder, who if you look at his percentage in this recall placement race, he did almost as well at 47% as Arnold Schwarzenegger did back in 2003. But that's a mirage. It misses the fact that 4 million voters skipped that second question, essentially turning it into a Republican primary. But at least it shows that he's the Republican primary frontrunner in 2022. Now, Gavin Newsom now has this recall election campaign behind him. What kind of agenda do you expect to see him pursue over the next months? Could this embolden him to become more progressive? 
I think so. I think he clearly has a, a renewed mandate uh, and he's got the pressure to deliver from all the progressive groups that put so many troops on the ground to help turn out the vote for this recall. He has governed in many ways, rather timidly, not taking the sorts of bold steps that he took uh, as a mayor when he embraced same-sex marriage licenses, as a lieutenant governor when, when he embraced a proposition on, on, on legalized marijuana. He stayed on the sidelines and, and, and hemmed and hawed on key issues such as housing, police reform, even vaccines a few years ago. I think by taking a bold step and winning in this recall, by embracing his COVID approach, owning it and winning on it, I think he may embold, be emboldened to take some stronger steps on progressive issues, things like single payer healthcare, police reform, that if he wants to have those national ambitions for eight years, uh, two or six years from now, really, uh, he's got he's to run on that record. That was Thad Kowser, political science professor at UC San Diego. He was speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. Coming up, would you enroll in a class called Psychedelic Mirrors, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll? This SDSU student did. I don't know, like Psychedelic Mirrors, it was a very intriguing name. Like comics and history is intriguing, but Psychedelic Mirrors is something you don't really see on a lot of, you usually see like intro to anthropology, like Paul Psy 101, so Psychedelic Mirrors was something out of the ordinary. Using comics to teach critical thinking, that's next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. San Diego State University is using comics to teach students about critical thinking. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando checks in on the class. How do you make English 157 attractive to college students? Well, call it psychedelic mirrors, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They say that uh, the humanities are dying, but it's just not true. We just haven't marketed them in the right way. William Noriccio is a professor of English and comparative literature at San Diego State University, and his marketing worked on Annika Huff. Psychedelic mirrors was something out of the ordinary, and it was something that like mirrors, like looking into yourself, like self-discovery, looking through the eyes of someone who could possibly be on psychedelics, like just a very, very strange, very rare and unique name for a course. The course looks to history and comics, says Noriccio. The focus of the class is on the human psyche and how a group of brilliant artists like uh, Robert Crumb and Dan Klaus, how they depict the intricacies of the human mind but in comic books. Some taxpayers might think a course on comic books is a waste of their money, but it's not, says student Mei Yun Sung. Comics may seem not as important as other academic subjects, but I feel like comics is something that's very interactive, and some people who might be more visual learners or some people who see comics as entertainment can also get educational value, and they could also see a lot of information and other things through comics. Huff agrees. I think it's more than just comics. I think it's critical thinking. I think it's analyzing text that one might just overlook as something that's a bunch of cartoons. 
I mean, I think it's important to always think for yourself, and that comes with critical thinking, and that's what fake news and TikTok and Instagram have kind of stripped people of recently, is their ability to think for themselves. Nariccio sees comics as a way to get these students to think, and for this class to think critically about how the images they see can affect them. Robert Crumb is at great pains to show us where racism grows. Today, I was lecturing on how Robert Crumb, an underground cartoonist, frames an early form of motion pictures to show how susceptible people are to being racist pigs. If we see it in the movies, we're gonna believe it. If we hear it on TV, we're gonna believe it. If we see it on the internet, we're gonna believe it. Bill is not just a consumer of images, he's also challenges the students to deeply understand images. Josue Arredondo is also in the class. And also the world is awash with information, disinformation, and it's important to teach people to understand what the message is through the image, but also understand what the implications are of the image itself and to think deeply through, okay, so I'm consuming this image, what does it mean for my thoughts? What does it mean for my actions? The challenge for these students is that the humanities don't always have answers, but rather serve up ambiguities that need further exploration. Mei Yun Sung appreciates this. Instead of trying to find a specific answer, you're really just broadening your own world perspective and the concepts and ideas that you might have already to become a more mature person and know more about the world to be a person that can contribute to society. So not necessarily as much about finding a specific answer, but maybe becoming someone who's more open-minded and overall well-rounded. That's why we need classes like Psychedelic Mirrors, says Nariccio. Literature is one of the last places in the university for open dialogue, thought, and conflict. Thoughtful conflict, disagreement, argument, polemic. We've never had more of a need for our students to have the critical capacity to evaluate information. With digital mirrors in their pockets, social media bombarding them with images, and a Google search letting anyone think they're an expert, young people need to be encouraged to question the images and information they're exposed to and to think for themselves. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. The SDSU Comics and History class continues through December. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.